Ooh, here we go. Welp, I quit my new fine dining job. What an absolute nightmare. My goodness. Without going into the triggering specifics, the job itself was not at all similar to the job description I applied for and was hired for. Just as an example, over three days and 27 plus hours of working behind a bar, I saw a total of three cocktails made. The bartenders don't pour wines or beer. We also don't serve food. So between playing concierge and play, uh, calling for cars for these guests or setting up spa appointments or running room service, I was essentially sitting there twiddling my thumbs for nine hours, regretting every decision I'd made in the past month, looking like a dumb butler. Now, no shade to butlers, but that's not the job I applied for. Anyways, it was so terrible. After day two and on my work, on my way to work by day three, I cried three times. And I've never felt that way about any other employment. I literally could not smile from day one until I quit. And I know that I'm privileged to be able to leave one job and find another relatively quickly. And I'm still very grateful for that. Speaking of, my old job did take me back. Shout out Molly's. Anyways, good morning, everybody. I hope you are all having a fantastic day. I apologize about that little rant. Just needed to let off some steam, I think. We live and we learn. Plus, it didn't allow me much time to read, write, and do this podcast. So, meh. On a happier note, yesterday I got a massive influx of listens, which has never happened on a day that I don't post a new episode. So it was weird, and I figured this wouldn't happen simply on its own accord, so I did a bit of digging. As it turns out, oh, there's a piece of hair in my mouth. As it turns out, all of those extra listens happen to come from a single episode, Serial Killer Juan David Ortiz. And this uptick was most likely triggered by the new 2020 episode featuring this case that I think went up like two days ago now. And of course, that was my first episode I ever posted. I can't even get myself to go back and listen to that. I know I'm not great currently, but I'm much better than I was 40 episodes ago. I mean, couldn't it have been any other? <laughs> like, episode 10 at least. Anyways, according to an article by Ariel Harmer of DeseretNews.com, quote, Friday's episode of 2020 covers the case of Juan David Ortiz a former Border Patrol agent who was convicted in 2022 of murdering four women during a two-week killing spree in 2018. ABC's The One That Got Out features real footage from the night Ortiz was apprehended, as well as testimony from the one woman who escaped him and video from the moment police found and captured him. He told investigators that his murders were an attempt to, quote, clean up the streets of Laredo as the five women he targeted were all sex workers. Ortiz was a client, himself, of several of the women. Ortiz was jailed and convicted in 2022 of capital murder and received a sentence of life in prison without parole, per the Associated Press. End quote. Anyway, that cheered me up. And my best friend's getting married. So, we're all smiles. My name is Eli, and this is murder in the morning.
My sources today come from listverse.com, the website Legends of America, Wikipedia, of course, and finally, the New Mexico Nomad article titled Serial Killer on the Taos Trail. As you know, I love me some international stories of dread, and I have plenty left to cover, pretty much an endless supply. But I do try, at least most days, to find more obscure and less told tales. And sometimes I happen to stumble across a story that's too thrilling to ignore. Even if that story brings us back to the dry and dusty Old West, the single era in history I would never want to experience or live in. And honestly, I don't know why I clicked on the article 10 Serial Killers of the Old West. It's not like me, but I did. And I hope you'll be as not disappointed as I was. That article starts with a classic. Many of you know the Bloody Benders. The Benders were a family who moved into the Osage Township in Kansas in the late 1870s. This family is reported to have killed as many as 21 people. They would pose as a loving family with a homey inn for tired travelers to stay. And when their guests had their backs turned, the Benders would bash in their skulls, rob them, and bury them. A wonderful family. As the peace went on, my draw, my draw, my jaw dropped further and further. They next mentioned Mr. Richards. Quote, Stephen D. Richards has been called the Old West Ted Bundy, but his, in his day and age, he was dubbed the Nebraska Fiend. He was a charming and well-spoken man. Unlike Bundy, Stephen seems to have had no preferred type of victim when it came to killing. He murdered a young man he had a disagreement with, and he killed a mother and her three children with an axe. Stephen said of killing this family that it was no different to him than killing jackrabbits. He ultimately murdered nine people in total, end quote. And finally, our dear author gave us this goldmine. History pun intended. Mr. Charles Kennedy, a big, burly man designed for the rough and tumble lifestyle of the Old West. In 1865, so I guess about five years before the Bloody Benders started, mm, shivin' people. In 1865, Charles, his wife Rosa, an indigenous woman, woman of the Ute tribe, and their three-year-old son moved to the Moreno Valley in New Mexico. Moreno Valley lies in the, forgive my pronunciation, Sangre de Cristo mountain range, the southernmost section of the Rocky Mountains, which takes up space in southern Colorado and northern New Mexico. Sangre de Cristo roughly translates, or directly translates, to blood of Christ, if you were curious. According to Spanish Peaks Country, this mountain range is one of the longest ranges on Earth. It stretches from the Poncha Pass in central Colorado to the Glorieta Pass in southeast of Santa Fe. The range consists of 10,000, 10, 14,000-foot peaks and more than two dozen 13,000-foot peaks. Some of the world's best rock climbing, downhill skiing, and whitewater rafting can be found in these mountains. Hunters love bagging elk and bighorn sheep, and fishermen have incredible luck in the range's numerous lakes, rivers, and streams. End quote. Suffice it to say, this was a long and treacherous route for anyone at the time. 
one of the longest mountain ranges in the world in the late 1800s. Not ideal. Although it is extremely gorgeous, I got lost in the photos for a few too many minutes while researching. At the time of their arrival, the New Mexico area was already a bit dangerous, as was the rest of the West. But then gold was found specifically in this area, and Moreno Valley was suddenly alive with travelers and dream chasers of all sorts. Charles, he took advantage of this newfound popularity and built a rest stop on this isolated trail between Elizabethtown and a place called Taos, T-A-O-S. Since I have never been to New Mexico, I looked up these locations for a bit of a reference point. So Elizabethtown is in the dead center of the mountain range, while Taos is on the edge of the range, with only two, well at least currently, two designated routes between them. One is roughly 36 miles, while the other is a much longer 49 miles. Either way, it's more than a day's travel if you're living in the 1800s, and people will always be looking for a safe place to rest. Charles would build this rest stop 18 miles past Elizabethtown on the way to Taos, the exact halfway point, in a place called, again, forgive my pronunciation, Paulo Flachado Pass or Flacado Pass, the shorter of the two trails, which was kind of smart. Unfortunately, as smart as Charles was for this move, he was not the most pleasant host. It's unclear if Charles Kennedy began killing right away or slowly graduated into it, but between 1865 and 1870, rumors started to rise of people missing in the area or never reaching their destination. However, due to the transient nature of this massive area, not to mention the isolation alone, many of these missing people went unnoticed for long periods of time. And if someone were to look for a missing family member or friend, they would have to search both of these trails and thousands of mountainous acres on either side. As the story goes, Charles Kennedy would welcome strangers into the rest area. And while they slept, he would murder them, most notably by bashing their head in or strangulation. Then he would steal their valuables and either bury or burn the bodies. It's unclear how much his wife Rosa knew about his dirty business dealings, but we do know that she did not partake. This continued for five long years. Many travelers and Native Americans alike fell victim to the sham sham, if you can say that. During the winter of 1871, Charles Kennedy made his first crucial mistake. Quote, a prominent Taos citizen vanished on his way to Elizabethtown. Authorities found his horse, belongings, and pack mules on Kennedy's property. Charles talked his way out of it. He claimed that he had found the animals wandering alone and assumed the owner had been abducted or killed by the Apaches. Apache attacks were common. However, the investigators were suspicious. It seemed implausible to them that the Apaches would abduct or assault a traveler and leave their stuff, particularly the pack animals. The Apaches had an affinity for, for mule meat. However, the investigators didn't have sufficient evidence to make an arrest and return to Taos. Kennedy dodged a bullet that afternoon, but unbeknownst to him, his murderous days were numbered. 
end quote. Now, again, since it's hundreds, not hundreds, a hundred plus years ago, it's unclear if this incident happened immediately after this close call with authorities or if he waited a bit of time. But eventually, Kennedy took in another victim. Now, this part is the entire reason I chose to cover the story. It's absolutely unhinged. I won't even try to summarize it. I couldn't do it justice. According to the website New Mexico Nomad, there are a few variations of how it actually played out, but this is the most commonly told and or believed. Quote, a traveler stopped for the night on his way to Taos. Over dinner, he asked his host if they had seen any Indians in the area. Charles Sun Sun responded, can't you smell the one Papa put under the floor? Charles Kennedy lost it. He shot his guest and bashed his son's skull in against the fireplace, throwing both bodies in the cellar. He locked his screaming wife in the house and proceeded to drink himself into a coma. When he eventually passed out, his terrified wife escaped through the chimney and fled 15 miles to Elizabethtown. She burst into the local saloon, frantic, crying, bleeding, half-frozen, and incoherently babbling. Clay Allison and David Crockett, nephew of frontiersman Davy Crockett, were having drinks, watching, and listening to her, end quote. We have murder and a Davy Crockett connection? It doesn't get much better than that. Rosa continued to share shocking details with these saloon guests. She claimed Charles had killed her two other children before they even had, before they had moved to Moreno Valley. She went on to say that there could be as many as 14 to 20 people buried on their property. Clay Allison, a man known as a hard-drinking, gunslinging, bad-tempered rancher, gathered David Crockett and a few other men and steered this posse towards Charles' house. Upon arrival, the men found bones still burning in the fireplace, presumably the guest and his own child's, and multiple skeletons underneath the house. Charles came outside, still drunk, and the townspeople immediately took him into custody. In October of that year, he attended pre-trial, where a witness, where a witness appeared claiming to have seen Kennedy shoot a passing traveler. The court ordered he be held until his final trial date, but as his day approached, more rumors started to circulate. It was said that Kennedy's lawyer found a loophole to get him out of these charges, and when Clay Allison heard this news, he immediately took justice into his own hands. Quote, Clay Allison and his companions took matters into their own hands and kidnapped Kennedy from jail. Accounts about what followed may vary, though the outcome for, for Kennedy is consistent. One variation suggests that the men cut his head off with a knife. Another version says the vigilantes put a rope around his neck and dragged him by a horse up and down Main Street until his head detached from his body. Bottom line, they brutally beheaded Charles Kennedy. Residents of Elizabethtown refused to bury the killer in the Catholic cemetery. Instead, they interred the body outside the cemetery boundaries. However, the head followed a separate path. It said that the vigilantes stuck Kennedy's head on a pike outside of a local saloon, where it remained until the mummified head mysteriously vanished, end quote. Damn, those townsfolk were brutal, well-deserved, but downright vicious. 
That's what Chris Hansen should have done to all those pedos he caught. I sorry, he's on my mind. I got stuck in a I hate Facebook, but I got stuck in a Facebook video black hole of how to catch a predator. And god damn, I love those videos. I love Chris Hansen. Who are you? We'll get to that in a minute. What were you thinking? <laughs> Anyways, with varying accounts, it said that Charles Kennedy may have killed between 15 and 100 people, both in New Mexico and in his previous life, uh, including those two children he most likely killed. As with many of these old stories, a lot has been left up to imagination and theory and speculation, but I did try to give as many historical facts as possible today. But what did he do with all the money and valuables he stole for those five plus years? What was the end goal? What was it all for? According to the New Mexico Nomad, though Charles always took their money and belongings, he wasn't known to spend money. Most people assumed that he buried the money, waiting for a time where he could spend it without suspicion. Perhaps the money is still buried somewhere in the deep Sangre de Cristo Mountains of New Mexico. If any of you out there are brave or adventurous enough or maybe just bored, there's some treasure to be found. Probably haunted treasure. But treasure is treasure. I mean, it's much more plausible to find that, you know, because we know where his house was at least, than it is to find D.B. Cooper's lost money, that's for sure. Anyways, that is all I have for you fine folks today. Even though I love that story, I probably won't do another Old West tale for a while unless you thoroughly enjoyed it. In which case, of course I will. But if I'm being honest, I am a slut for Christmas, so I'll probably start doing a little holiday-themed murders instead. I doubt anyone will be too upset over that. Anywho, thank you, thank you, thank you again to you and your eardrums for taking the time out of your day to listen to me. It's truly 100% appreciated. Okay, bye-bye. Love you. <laughs>